part of why it's, people find it hard to buy into a new way of gathering is because they liked the old one. And I don't think people have to choose. What we did 10 years ago, God was at work and it was so wonderful to be part of. And I don't want to build a tabernacle around that and lock ourselves into where we were 10 years ago because I believe that the church and a spiritual life is about growth and progress. Welcome to the Southridge Worship Leader Podcast. That's what we're calling it. It's incredibly descriptive, not overly creative, but it tells you exactly what it is. And that is a beautiful thing. The idea here is that we want to pull back the curtain a little bit on the why behind what we do. You know, we'll frequently be in a planning meeting with our inspiration team And I'll kind of go, oh man, that was a great conversation. I wish we had a mic on for that. I wish we had captured that somehow. This captures some of the spirit of some of those conversations, which I think are not just fascinating and interesting, but can actually help us to become better leaders. I sat down with our inspiration pastor, Tom Lowen, and we had a great conversation about the paradigm that we've been using When it comes to our Sunday services, the paradigm we're calling a spiritual gymnasium. Now, I'm not sure what your familiarity is with this word, whether you love it, you hate it. No matter what, this was a fantastic conversation uh, that I'm really glad that we were able to record. Tom has some really fantastic insights in this episode, so really looking forward to digging into this with all of you. Here we go. The first thing that I'd like to just talk about is... This idea of a spiritual gymnasium. Now, if you've been around for any length of time, you've probably heard that word. How have we been using that language to process our gatherings as a church these days? Yeah, I think think that the reason that we've been using this language is because it does an okay job at describing some of what we have felt has maybe been missing historically in in why we gather and what we do. Um, You know, we if you look around at the vast majority of church gatherings, especially in churches kind of churches like ours, um, there's sort of a, they, they kind of lean into certain paradigms of what the actual experience feels like, whether it's going to a concert or going to class to learn something from a lecturer or even just going to a pep rally to kind of get moved and inspired by compelling videos and lights and fog machines and whatever. And, uh, We've, we've sort of been con- convicted about the idea that that how we meet um, says an awful lot about why we meet, and it has an, a significant impact, even if subconsciously for people, on what it is we're actually gathering for and what it says about, about the purpose of the meeting and, and what God is actually wanting to happen in these environments. Um, so, you know, if I imagine the church service as a, as a concert, I, I mean, I'm going to sing my favorite songs and, you know, celebrate with people who are kind of like me and have that sense of camaraderie. And there's nothing, nothing bad about that, per se. Um, but that's definitely a certain way of thinking about how it forms even my faith, is my faith about my favorite songs and kind of the things that I'm into, Um or if it's about a classroom, it's about learning, it's about theology, it's about, you know, this academic approach to faith. I'm agreeing with the, or disagreeing or debating. I mean, it, 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 if you think about the Sunday morning gathering or the weekend service gathering as a classroom, it produces a kind of faith that is academic and, and idea-based and mm-hmm. um, 
you know, even, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It because well, it just becomes about agreeing together about all our beliefs. We're, we're yeah. what, that what we have in common is our doctrine or whatever. Um, or just acquiring knowledge. Right. Or exactly. And, uh, and we obviously, I mean, when it comes to belief, it's not that we're anti-belief. We, we have very strong convictions about our beliefs, but we also believe that, that Jesus and the scriptures point us to a vision of, of a faith that is built around love beyond belief. Uh, and even Paul in Corinthians talks about how knowledge puffs up um, uh, that it, it knowledge, it make, building a faith around it, uh, knowledge can just actually create arrogance, whereas love actually builds up, um, mm-hmm. which would, which would kind of lean into what he says again in, in first Corinthians 13 about how, even if I know all mysteries, if I don't love, it's kind of useless. Yeah, that's great. Or even the pep rally vision is kind of like all about kind of hyping me up to go and fill my passion tank so that I can go and, and be excited about Jesus uh, which again is great, but passion, you know, it fades and it only goes so far. And I guess it, I guess the question was we would ask would be like, is a life of faith about being, having a white hot passion? I think that's important, but, but I think often when we take this pep rally approach to faith, it can make it feel almost like the degree to which I'm really enthusiastic about this is the point. Mm. And mm. we would have questions about that. So, no, I'm answering what the spiritual gymnasium isn't. Uh, the spiritual gymnasium is actually about embracing this idea that the reason why we gather, that the gathering in and of itself isn't the point. The point of the gathering is actually um, an environment that is meant to equip me to go and live out my faith in the 167 hours where I'm not in the gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge paradigm shift, at least it has been for us as a church. I'll start by saying when I first heard this concept, I remember feeling uncomfortable with it, Hmm. partially just because the way that my thinking has been shaped, um, not just as a churchgoer, but as a worship leader, someone who contributes to the experience, um, it just, it didn't seem spiritual enough. Hmm. Uh, The idea of using language about working out and exercising um, it's it's clear to me that that I had kind of separated those two things. Like when you first heard the idea of spiritual gymnasium, how did it resonate with you when when you first began uh, being introduced to that concept? Um, the I think that probably I I, I could imagine uh, having similar kind of re- reservations or feelings as you. I I mean, one of the things that I would say is that I don't think that the spiritual gymnasium paradigm that we talk about necessarily is the only thing or the only way to think about what we do when we gather. I think that there is value, for example, in having a bit of a classroom, learning some things about God. I think we are like Romans 12, two says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there yeah, is not one or the other. Yeah, I think there is value in the concert experience of coming and having the camaraderie and belting out anthems to God, and, and we see that in Scripture. And there is good value in having inspirational kind of rally type experiences that do fill us with passion. Those aren't necessarily bad things. And I think that I would have wrestled initially with to what degree is this the reason we're gathering, or one of the reasons we're gathering, or some of that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we have just been so. Quite, quite frankly, 
one of the things that that we exist probably behind the scenes, maybe too much so, but definitely it drives us as leaders behind the scenes, is to compensate for what we see in the church in our lifetime these days, especially in the Western Evangelical Church, where it seems to be so much about either what you believe or what, you know, fad or hashtag you're into these days as opposed to a lifestyle you're actually living and for a long time we have tried to communicate that we believe that the church exists that we exist as a church to foster a lifestyle of full devotion to jesus not to have the best killer events but we're actually trying to drive a lifestyle to try to see us become followers of jesus not just fans of jesus and that that actually plays out in our everyday lives and when what you do when you gather as a church is just have pep rallies and talks, uh, you don't actually end up producing that in the trenches daily grind of a following to the same extent as we believe actually Jesus wants us to do as a church. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot recently about the idea of discomfort. Um and how discomfort is is actually generally also coupled with growth or transformation. Uh, specifically, I know we've been even talking about it and how that relates to this paradigm of exercise and and a gymnasium. In that, mu- like our physical muscles, in order to grow, they need to be stretched and torn. And in the same way, if we want to grow spiritually, it requires that same kind of stress. Obviously, discomfort is not something that we naturally gravitate towards. Um, in my own experience, I'm coming up on on being around Southridge for about three years, which is kind of, I feel like, right in the middle slash early stages of this paradigm being introduced. Um, but I know that there's definitely opposition to this idea at first. I remember the running joke when I first got around here was that, uh, you know, people were like, what, an- like another Sunday where we're handing out you know, paper, paper and, and pencils, pencils. and yeah. we would just be inviting people to write down all kinds of stuff. We were really figuring it out. I feel like we've, we're definitely in more of a groove now, but in those early stages. Yeah, people were it, right to be confused by what we were doing, because I don't think we oh, were, yeah. I don't think we were doing a great job of, of, we, we were, we were navigating new territory. So we, we, we've been finding our way for sure. I think we are in Mm -hmm. a bit more of a groove now. I mean, I think one of the things that has been so hard in this change and for people in embracing this change has been that people liked the way that things were. Right. I mean, first of all, people don't like change. You know, people would prefer what people like, what they're comfortable with to start with. Um, But people actually liked the way that we were doing church before. And, and, and for good reason. There was a lot of good stuff there. God was doing amazing things in our community. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you, if you were to transport back like 10 years in our church, I mean, we were, we were, our Sunday morning services were as full as they've ever been. I mean, we had thousands of people coming to our special events and they were, they, they were a lot of fun. They were exciting. They were inspiring and they certainly were meaningful for sure. There was, there was lots of good stuff going on and people loved it. And at the time there was value in what we were doing there. There were paradigms that needed to be shattered in how people were thinking about God and thinking about church and thinking about faith. And a lot of what we were doing was trying to shatter a lot of those paradigms. 
that that what we were doing was really healthy at the time. Mm-hmm. And yet things have changed and culture has changed and people's thinking about faith has changed and we're not still te- where we were 10 years ago as a community, as a culture, as a, as a church family. And I mean, it's not uncommon, even if you look at the Bible, it's not uncommon for people to look back and see or, or when they've experienced something really meaningful of God to make an idol out of it, to say, okay, right. this was powerful. We always have to do it like this. And yeah. you know, I think about the story of, um, of Jesus taking his, of, he leaves the 12 behind. He takes G- Peter, James, and John with him up this mountain. And the story of the transfiguration uh, mm. takes place. And, and there's this like just unbelievable, like God peels back the curtain and they see, you know, they hear literally God's voice speaking to them out of the clouds. Like it's this amazing spiritual moment for them. And Peter yeah. being caught up and it says, we've got to capture this. We've got to build some tabernacles here, like a shrine, and we can invite people. And they can come and they can right. experience this. We've got to, we've got to save this moment, and this is this is it. We're at the top of the mm-hmm. mountain. This is this is the way that people are going to be finally, you know, transformed by God. And Jesus immediately rejects that idea. Right. And I think a lot of times we want to build tabernacles around our favorite experiences with God, and just because something was awesome That's ten good. years ago doesn't yeah. mean it's the way God wants to work in us now. Mm-hmm. So I think p- point number one is there's this feeling like part of why it's, it, people find it hard to buy into some a new way of gathering is because they liked the old one. And mm-hmm. I don't think people have to choose. What we did 10 years ago, God was at work and it was so wonderful to be part of. And I don't want to build the tabernacle around that and lock ourselves into where we were 10 years ago because I believe that the church and a spiritual life is about growth and progress. And so I want to continue to shatter new barriers and paradigms to embrace what God is doing today and what God will be doing tomorrow in us. And I don't necessarily even think that what we're doing today is going to be what we'll be doing 10 years from now. And that's Mm. kind of the point. I love that the connecting of that scripture of the transfiguration to to the idea of gathering. I feel like that's a great great analogy. I was thinking as you were talking of even um you know Paul on the road to or Saul on the road to Damascus and you know the heavens open up and he has this like life-changing experience because he hears the voice of God. Mm-hmm. But like Jesus' simple instruction to his disciples is just simply follow me. Hmm. And if you look at their experience and read about their experience, more often than not, like they seem like they're not having a great time. Like they're confused. They don't know what's going on. They're in prison. And I think it's easy for us uh, to be pursuing the, the road to Damascus experience, which God does move in those ways. But I think there's, there's something to be said for connecting following Jesus to this idea of like discomfort or suffering. Um, Not that we should just be seeking suffering in and of itself, but there's a sense in which like, if you are attending one of our services and you're like, oh man, this rubs me the wrong way or it feels uncomfortable. Like it's actually possible that that's a good thing. Like that something good is about to happen if you continue to press in that direction. Well, and I'd almost, yeah, like push that further. I, I think I think this is another reason why people don't like what some of what we're doing right now because it makes them uncomfortable. And the the irony of that, I guess, is that that's exactly the point. We're mm-hmm. doing this on purpose to make you uncomfortable, not not to be mean to anyone or to because you know 
at the end, I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're trying to believe, or we we're believing that 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 God wants us to grow, to pro, to make progress in our faith, to work out our faith, uh, because God is at work within us to do this transforming work. And just like a workout, nobody has ever wanted to go to the gym because it's comfortable or because, like, you, we push ourselves to be healthier, to grow. We we make good decisions that are uncomfortable for us, because mm-hmm. because kind of the whole point of of a life of faith, according to Scripture, would be that on our own, our instincts, our comfort, our nature, our human nature, actually pulls us away from God's ideal for our lives. And mm. so we have to engage in some very unnatural things, hoping that over time they'll become more natural, but all for the goal of experiencing the supernatural. Right. Because when we just do what comes naturally or what we like or what we enjoy or what is comfortable, all we end up doing is creating some echo chamber of of our preferences and our stylistic or our, even our own internal ideas. The, the whole point of coming to God is recognizing that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher. Like they're not mm. our thoughts. That's why even yeah. Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. That wasn't a comfortable prayer. In fact, you know, the scriptures describe sweating drops of blood. And yet that's kind of the whole mechanism of spiritual growth is relinquishing what is natural to me in order to mm. embrace something that is supernaturally ex- possible and better, but it's uncomfortable. And so we actually need to become people who embrace, we run towards discomfort, not away from it. Knowing that this is uncomfortable, knowing that obviously we've encountered obstacles along the way, like what kind of stories are out there that demonstrate when people have actually leaned in and, and, and embraced that discomfort and actually experienced something surprising? Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been interesting because I remember, I remember a couple of years ago chatting with actually... Uh, somebody who was on our staff who who was was talking about sort of the paper and pencils and this is kind of annoying and they were kind of being kind of a little bit critical of like this I don't really like this stuff and then they kind of threw in this out this offhanded comment to say that said although when I actually engage in them they're they're really helpful and meaningful and right in there it was kind of like yeah exactly you don't like it just like you don't like going to the gym and going mm-hmm. for a, a run. You don't, they're not fun. They're not comfortable. No one's into them. But when you do it, no one at the end of a run has ever said, yeah, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Even if it was hard and it, it, it felt awful. Like I've had bad runs, mm-hmm. but you still are glad you did it because it was, it still had meaning. It still, uh, it still had a formative effect on you and it's, and you know that it's good for you. And so I think that the point isn't even to start liking these things or having them being our fun, most fun and favorite things, but it's to recognize the value in them. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember uh, leading worship in so good. Welland on a Sunday morning one time, and we were going to go into an experience, and I knew it was going to be probably a stretch for some people. Again, stretching is the point. Do you remember what the experience was? Uh, I think it was. I was think that it a was breath a breath prayer. prayer. I think okay. it was a breath prayer and it was one of the earlier ones that we'd done. Um, and I mean, personally, breath prayers haven't been my favorite thing to do. They're not the thing that for me is like, Oh, I love this one. Whereas I know for a lot of people, they do love them. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I was even almost sharing personally, like, this is something that's good to do because it actually, it, it's actually really healthy for us. But I know that for some of us, we're, we're, we're already deciding to not do it in our minds. Right. Like you're sitting in the congregation right now and you've already decided you're just going to kind of tune out while we go through this. We've all been there. We've all been there. I've been there. And, oh, yeah. and, and I kind of just named that and said, mm. I, I said, would you just do it this once? Would you just try it and do it one time? And, and then I kind of facilitated through it. And this person came up to me in, in sobbing tears afterwards and said, when, when you made that comment, I had already decided I, what, I, don't, I don't like these things. I'm not doing it. I'm going to just mm-hmm. tune out. I, you were naming my exact experience, wow. but I decided I was going to give it a try. And uh, she said to me, I don't know that I've ever experienced the presence of God in as powerful a way in a church gathering in my entire life. And I, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't even want to do this. And she, she had said, like, I don't even know, I don't even know why or how I can't even explain it, but I'm going to spend the week journaling about it to try to understand why this had such a deep impact on me. And, you know, I think that person actually had a really amazing formative experience with Christ on that morning and yeah. almost missed it. Almost yeah. missed it because these things aren't fun or they're not my style. They're not my thing. How many of us have said, this isn't my thing. And because we allowed that to decide what we were going to do, missed out on potentially one of the most transformative, powerful experiences of the presence of God we've ever had. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you said a couple minutes ago, because I was thinking just as you were talking and, you know, talking about having good runs and bad runs. And of course you didn't want to do the run. Running can be really hard sometimes, Um, especially if you just hate running in general. But even if you love running, even if you love working out, like we all have good days and bad days. But the thing about working out or running or exercising in any kind of way is even if you're a pro runner, it's not like you can keep running the same distance and get any fitter. Something that's kind of just begun to click over the last year is it's not like you reach this point of fitness where you're like, oh, this is great. Now I don't ever have to push myself again. Right. Like what I'm what I'm realizing is like, no, pushing yourself is actually the that's the point. Like following Jesus. We only go it, forwards and backwards. There's no coasting. I, Absolutely. And even if there even if there were, like when we talk about progress, we talk a lot about the story in Luke 19 of the parable of the talents and how Jesus entrusts us with, you know, our lives and says, I want you to make progress with them. And the wicked servant in that story is the person who hands Jesus, the, the, the king, he hands mm-hmm. him back what he gave him in the first place. Yeah. He maintains. He doesn't gain. He yeah. doesn't lose. And that's the person described as wicked. So I do agree. I think that, I think that. And this is a whole other conversation, but I feel like the historical paradigm of Christianity that's so binary, I either am or I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a Christian or I'm not a non-Christian, it's just sort of a in or out, mm-hmm. creates this paradigm that like, I am a Christian, so I'm on the right side and what else is there? Like, I've, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus. And that paradigm is very different than a paradigm that says, Oh, Christ is in, in, inviting me to follow, and following implies movement. It involves going somewhere, and a journey. That I'm either journeying forward, or I'm if I'm if I'm standstill, I'm falling behind. 
because the journey keeps moving. The leader keeps moving forward. And so we, in a sense, we only either follow or fall behind. And that's, that's true of our spiritual fitness as well as our physical fitness. For all the different types of practices that often find their way into our services, like where are we getting those from? Yeah, I think there's this idea that sometimes because we're that, that we're just making stuff up and performing experiments on people, and may, maybe sometimes we are, but for the most part, I mean, we are leaning into some time-honored traditions that have existed for, for centuries, uh, in some cases longer, and things that people have leaned into, practices people have leaned into as ways of shaping our connection to God, of practicing the presence of God. And so uh, as much as we sometimes like to think about ourselves as being innovative or pioneers, the truth of the matter is we're not actually inventing anything new. We're just trying to actually reach back to, mm-hmm. to something that has, has, been, has some proven impact. Uh, again, recognizing that not everyone is going to be, because of our, our personalities, and Richard Foster wrote a book about spiritual pathways, some of yes. us feel way more connected to God by going for a walk in nature, while others, it's all about experiencing God in community, or through study, or through music, mm-hmm. or whatever. And and we recognize the diversity of that. We're not suggesting that breath prayer or anything should be everyone's preferred experience, or is going to be the most impactful Um but there's definitely a lot of these classic disciplines. You could go back and read uh, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. That certainly mm-hmm. was very formative for me. And when I read that, you know, years ago, Henry Nowen and Dallas Willard have great books about spiritual disciplines, again, that explore the history of these mm-hmm. experiences and talk about different ways of practicing them and even the kind I've been of- going through uh, uh, Ruth Haley Barton's uh uh, what's it called? Sacred Pathways. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar to Richard Foster's, but I found that she she unpacks things in ways that Foster doesn't. He he just kind of has a different way of looking at things. So she's been really helpful. Even in the last six months, I've been kind of going through some of her stuff too. Yeah, and if you if you really want to start digging into the archives, I mean, there are some there are some great like from the monastic tradition. Mm-hmm. There are some great authors um, uh, of people who. You know, people like the Desert Fathers who, you know, there there are people who have built their lives around uh, silence or solitude or these different, and they have, they have a wealth of information to share with us. Not that mm-hmm. we necessarily have to, not that we're even promoting the idea that we should all become monks, but we can learn from these really powerful experiences, the past of how other people have connected with God. Um, I remember being yeah. inspired by uh, Thomas Merton many years ago mm. and some of the stuff that he'd written. Um, a more recent version of this would be uh, a number of years ago, our, our inspiration team hung out with a guy named Aaron Nequist, who was working at a church in Chicago. He's worked at some different churches in, in Michigan and I think maybe now in New York City. But uh, Aaron started this event called The Practice, and it was essentially a very similar language around what we were trying to do to say, what if we got together as a, as a church family on a weekly basis and tried to put our faith into practice? And we, mm. we do these 
uh, this totally different kind of embodied experience of prayers. And we're going to reach back into the archives of ancient pr- written prayers and all these kinds of things. And uh, Aaron's done a ton of great thinking about how this kind of this, how practice perfects us, not to make us perfect, mm-hmm. but it, it over time perfects us. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wrote a book uh, called The Eternal Current, which I think is fantastic. The way he describes the spiritual gymnasium in The Eternal Current is like a river. He says there's this river that that has run, he describes the kingdom of God as a river that has run from Eden to eternity. Um, mm. And that we should, he says the church often is this group of people standing on the banks talking about the river, singing about the river, celebrating the river, preaching about how great this river is, but no one ever jumps in and starts to swim. When that's actually the invitation mm. of Jesus to get to get ourselves wet and to dive oh, in so and start swimming in the river. And, yeah. you know, I think that there's a lot of parallels to many of my and our church experiences where we love the river, we talk about the river, we sing about the river, we are crazy about the river, but we're dry on the banks of it, just talking about it rather than swimming in it. And so yeah. the spiritual gymnasium is all about inviting us to get in the river and start swimming. And as a person who is a terrible swimmer, I can tell you that <laughs> it, it it often can feel like a lot of hard work and it's yeah. uncomfortable. And And yet the invitation is to dive in. So if I am a worship leader at Southridge and perhaps this is my first time hearing about spiritual gymnasium or or at least thinking about it this in depth, uh, maybe I've thought about it for a while. What does this mean for my role as a worship leader at our church? We'll go back to what we talked about at the beginning of the different paradigms that we sometimes have around different church gathering experiences. Um, cause I do, I do think, I mean, the, our worship leaders, you who are listening to this podcast and whether you're an actual band leader or in the bands, you play a significant role in what we do when we gather. A lot of the minutes we spend are, are in music and singing. And I'm sure that's going to be its own podcast as to why that's true at some point. But, hmm. um, to me, I guess, if all everything we've talked about today is this big behind the scenes hypothetical theory, but it doesn't actually change what happens in our services, then we're just kind of wasting our time. I actually think it should make a huge difference in what we do. Um, I think in many, many times in the past of our church, and I could be say that I'll just speak about myself because I have been guilty of this. When you think about a worship gathering as a concert, even the best, most redemptive spiritual version of that, or as a pep rally where we're trying to motivate and inspire people, mm-hmm. we sort of think about what happens on the stage as being central, mm-hmm. and then everyone else is sort of being, they're, they're the congregation or the audience who decides the degree to which they're going to either be into it or like it or be bored by it or criticize it or whatever, And but but... The main thing that's happening is what's happening in on stage. And so we spend all of our rehearsing time making sure that we're playing the right notes or that we're, the band sounds great or that the singers know their harmonies or that they're not singing flat and, and that we're putting on a good performance. And we, we, we invest all of this energy into putting on a good performance. And first of all, I'll just say, like, 
I don't see the word performance negatively like a lot of people do. When we sing, we're performing. When we play drums, we're performing. Mm-hmm. What I don't mean performance in a negative way, but it's just that the emphasis is on making what happens on stage great. And right. then we hope that that actually does something for the people in the congregation. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I think if you imagine the idea of a spiritual gymnasium and you think about a worship leader as a fitness instructor, the point of having a fitness instructor isn't so that the fitness instructor puts on a really compelling performance. It's actually so that the the person working out gets a good workout. Right. And changing of that focus recognizes that the main event isn't on stage. It's actually in the congregation. Mm -hmm. That's actually the center of the experience. And actually you could push that further and say the, the goal of the worship experience is actually to for God to like it, not for the congregation to like it. So, right. so we're not we're not putting on our best performance so that our congregation will like it and will want to come back next week. I mean, if we were trying to build a business or create a a a, a, a great social media page and get likes, that's kind of what we would do. We would put on the best show possible, make this the mm-hmm. best hour of people's week, so they would like it and that they would come back Go and viral. invite their friends. Exactly. Yeah. What we're trying to imagine. Believing that a person's 167 hours when they're not here with us, devotion to God is actually the main thing. Now I'm actually positioning myself as a coach, as a, an instructor, as a guide, as somebody who's actually here for your experience, not to put on a, a good performance myself. And and even though that could feel like an invisible, just mental shift, I think it actually transforms everything about my worship leader comments, I'm not worried about not sounding like an idiot. I'm actually thinking pastorally about where people needed to be guided to. Um, I'm not, when I'm ad-libbing, you know, my in instrumental parts or when I'm thinking about my worship leader comments or when I'm praying, it's, it's not about doing a good job. It's, we're redefining what doing a good job is. We're, mm. we're actually recognizing that that I'm not I'm not trying to not mess up or have my performance be good. I'm actually trying to coach people in something. And so mm-hmm. take the example of like people raising their hands or clapping along. We sometimes think, well, if the band is really good and inspiring, then people will do those things automatically, almost as, a, re- as a reward system. Like they're like yeah. they're tipping us with their right. engagement. <laughs> Right. I prefer money, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's the spiritual version of a, of passing around a tip jar. Like when people are raising their hands, or they're going for it, or they're clapping, or they're cheering at the end of a song. That that's actually a response to what we've done, as opposed to recognizing that that those are actually practices of worship. They're uncomfortable. They're ways we're trying to make people uncomfortable, but to for, to help people orient their 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 experience not around their own comfort but around what will give God praise and honor. And mm-hmm. so we don't actually look at those things as as results of a good worship time, mm-hmm. but as the kinds of practices we're trying to coach people in in order to devote themselves more fully to God. And, and so, I mean, again, one of these things that we think about when we, when we think about the metrics of worship, you know, people say afterwards, that was a good experience. You know, and often there's this feeling like if we have a good worship experience, people will feel filled up by it, like we mm. gave them something. As a and and I sometimes feel like if we were to really be nailing a good worship experience, people would feel spent at the end of a worship time. 
they'd actually feel emptied out a little bit. And and I do think that there is sort of a, a spiritual feeling that comes from that, but but that people would feel like they just had a good workout, like it was exhausting, mm-hmm. like it was yeah. hard, like they're feeling stretched. But I gave God everything I had. I, I It pushed me to think about these words and consider what it means to really give God, you know, full worship and full devotion in my mm-hmm. life. Are we guiding people to leave it all on the floor or leave it all on the court or whatever when in worship? Or are we trying to do something that's so awesome that people just really like it, that they just felt awesome and they they gave it a like at the end? That's a huge paradigm shift. It totally is. And similar to what we talked about before, um, it's not to say, I mean, certainly when it comes to exercising our spirituality, that that's, that's a huge, huge part, but you know, there in, in any given relationship that, for that mutuality to happen, there is like a, a giving and receiving too. Mm-hmm. Like the way we even frame all of our services is in this idea of God revealing himself and us responding. And so there is a receiving that happens. And that's, and, and I know that's, that's not what you're saying. God give us good things. Like it, we are God's beloved. That is a good thing that, that we receive from him. But in order to receive those things, we realize that they actually require the response. So it's not it's not like we're working out to summon him. Yeah, exactly. You can't fill something that's already full. You know, you talk about, you know, in Philippians, it says Jesus emptied himself. If we, if yeah. we have an attitude towards worship that we're going to come out and empty ourselves, well, then mm. Christ's presence fills us. The Spirit of God fills us for sure. Yeah. But our role in this isn't to get filled, isn't to fill our tank. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. often talk about coming to a church for that, right? I come to church because it fills me up for the rest of the week. We actually gather together to empty our tank on God because God mm-hmm. is actually the main character of, of this gathering, not us. This isn't something we come to. This isn't a gas station. This is, this is a place where we come to empty ourselves in worship on God, pouring out that alabaster jar of perfume on God and emptying till there's nothing left. That's worship. Thank you for choosing to tune in. I hope that conversation was as life-giving for you as it was for me. Beyond just listening to a podcast, though, we would really love to hear what you think. After this episode finishes, We'd love it if you headed over to our Facebook Worship Leaders group and let us know what you thought. Let us know how it challenged you, stretched you, inspired you. However it landed, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. Before I go, I want to read to you from the book of Ephesians. Because as we allow our places of discomfort to become sources of transformation, we become witness to Christ growing inside of us. And so now to him who is able to do so much more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.